Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father's by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Nancy, are you with us? I sure am. Welcome, Nancy. It's good to have you. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be with you all. Nancy, I'm going to uh, introduce you just by reading a little bit of information uh, to our listeners about you and your background, and then we're going to have our really good conversation. So if you just give me one moment, I want to share with our listeners just a tiny bit of who you are and what you've been up to, which actually is a lot. <laughs> Nancy Hartwell. <laughs> Nancy Hartwell is our guest today. Uh, she actually grew up in Tampa, Florida, where apparently she is back now after 52 years. She that's studied right. Interna- that's right. International relations at American University in, in uh, District of Columbia. She married a prominent attorney from Cameroon in Central Africa, where she lived and worked for 14 years. Now, back then back in the States, she worked for the Washington Post on Capitol Hill. She also worked for someone we all know, Bob Dole, and was the lead proposal writer for an international development contractor for USAID. She published two plays, one of which was produced by BBC Radio and the other in French translation on ORTF, which is in France, obviously. Nancy loves baking, 
languages which she actually speaks more than a dozen. That's an interesting conversation right there. Travels, she has been to date to 44 countries and entertaining. So um, she is with us today to talk about um, the subject. Let me get it right. How parents can protect their children from sexual predators. Nancy knows quite a bit about human trafficking, and I know that this is an extremely important subject. It also is a very difficult and painful one to talk about. So, Nancy, we appreciate you thinking and working on this and also for being with us today. So welcome to you. Thank you so much for helping me get the word out. Well, you're very welcome. So um, to start off, could you just tell us a little bit about uh, – there may be some people listening to us right now who really don't understand the term human trafficking. So would you please begin by just giving a little information about that? Um, this is actually stealing humans and selling them <laughs> or forcing them to do things that they would never voluntarily do. Um, it is – almost synonymous with modern-day slavery. Um, but the, the term is used to cover things that aren't 100% slavery, like girls being forced into prostitution or um, guys being forced into working on a, on a farm. Um, it's, it's almost synonymous with modern-day slavery, but not 100%. Mm. Okay, I'm kind of trying to. I'm, a, I'm kind of lost there. I'm trying to see the difference there. Well, the 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 issue is, this is a problem that still exists big time, and we could spend all night trying to split hairs and come up with a definition that's going to make everybody happy. But but the point is, this is still a big problem. And if we don't warn our children about this danger, we're placing them at increased risk. We tell our kids, don't touch a hot stove, you can get burned, or be careful when you cross the street, look both ways, you could get hit. Well, if we don't tell them anything at all about this problem, they don't know what danger they're facing, and they could get kidnapped. <laughs> So that's that's the big point is this is still a big problem and whether you call it human trafficking or slavery or kidnapping or whatever it's still a really big issue and we need to be able to confront it honestly so that our our kids are not victimized by this horrible horrible crime. Are there any so Nancy, how did you get yeah, I was just going to ask. Um, Go ahead. Are they are there any age groups more subjected to this, or um, more females versus well, men? Well, um, labor slavery is actually more common in the world today than sex slavery, but both of them are real big. In fact, the State Department, that's not known for being wild. Um, estimates that there are more slaves on earth right now than at any time in human history. Between 25 and 30 million worldwide. This is a big problem. Um, yes, the young people are much more susceptible than old people to being victimized by this crime. There's an almost, almost bottomless market for pedophiles. So even small, small children could be victimized. By the time you hit your mid-20s, 30s, um, the chances go significantly down. But I have heard of cases where people in their 40s with PhDs were kidnapped and, and sold. So you're, you're never completely exempt, but mostly they're looking for children and young people. 
is there a place on on the planet where this is happening more so than in others? Um, yes, um, the Persian Gulf, in the really conservative Muslim states of the Persian Gulf, slavery is still completely legal, and mm. there's lots of money. So um, this is especially a problem on the Persian Gulf. By the way, the facilities for the soccer World Cup that's going to take place in Qatar in 2022, these are being built by slave labor. And the conditions are so horrific, they have been averaging a death a day. They recruit Mm. young men from poor countries like Somalia, Afghanistan, Nepal, promise them the sky, then they they bring them to Qatar with a, a what looks to be like a valid labor contract. The guys are celebrating because they're going to be able to send money home to their poor families. But then, as soon as they get there, they tear up the contract, confiscate their travel documents, lock them up, and make them work 18-hour days under 125-degree heat. Uh, yeah, and where is world outrage here? This this hardly makes it into the newspapers at all. And and it's a death a day, and we don't even hear about it. Now, so, do you believe, do you do you believe the the reason that is is because there's so many uh, I guess societies that are still benefiting from that? Yeah, well, everybody benefits from free labor. I mean. You know, um, it keeps costs way down. <laughs> but um, uh, the, if if you're part of the free labor, you might not think it's such a great idea. Um, right. th- these are predators who prey on the vulnerable. And <clears throat> they are not nice people. They do not care that they're destroying people's lives. They're just making money. So what about in the United States? How uh, how much human trafficking is going on here? There is some, um, more than than I would like to see, it's especially girls being forced into prostitution and agricultural workers. If you're an illegal immigrant, you have very little negotiating power, and people will okay. take advantage of you. Um there are also massage parlors, nail parlors. <clears throat> These are usually run by Chinese organized crime. Um, some, some of these people are specialized in getting business licenses that make the business sound absolutely 100% legitimate. Others are specialized in financing. Others are specialized in, quote, recruitment, unquote. Um, <clears throat> Others are specialized in shutting a place down in less than two hours if they get wind of a possible police raid. Uh, <laughs> um, these are people who are recruited, sometimes even relatives, brought to the United States thinking that they've got a fabulous opportunity to you know, guarantee their future. Then they're locked up, kept in the basement where they sleep, moved around a lot so they don't make friends with any of the customers. Um, and, and yes, this exists in the United States. Believe it or not, the city of Canton, Ohio, which is not a place you would normally associate with the modern-day slave trade, this was such a problem in Canton, Ohio, that the police when they would raid one of these places, they finally ended up taking Chinese interpreters with them to convince the the people that they were there to help them and not make life more difficult for them because they they had been brainwashed to be scared to death of anybody in a uniform and went in a, a number of raids, they wouldn't say anything at all. So they finally figured out that... They were scared of authorities, and so they started taking Chinese interpreters with them to reassure 
the people that, that they were there to help them and not to victimize them further. It it does exist here in the United States. So is this? Um, I, I just want to ask you a, a personal question before we go on about this. How did you get involved in this kind of uh, uh, endeavor and and get interested in it? How, how what led you to this? Okay, um, I had a friend when I was living in Cameroon. I had a German friend who just disappeared. They found her bicycle next to the road, and nobody has heard from her or seen her since. And three or four weeks after she disappeared, we started hearing rumors that seemed to make a lot of sense, that she had been sold to a sultan in Libya. And that explained a lot. And I was in my 20s at that time not a bad-looking blue-eyed blonde myself, and I thought, holy Toledo, that could have been me. And it Mm -hmm. scared me to pieces. And I started collecting stories, and once people know that you're interested in this topic, you get bombarded with stories. And so that's, that's how I got involved. And I think about Ursula almost every day and wonder if she's still alive, how she's managed to cope. I mean, that's a pretty serious detour for a life. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah. And um, so that's, that's how I, that's how I got involved. And, and it's been a passion of mine for now for more than 40 years. So we don't really know what happened to Ursula. No, except, but the rumors, they they were probably accurate, that she had been sold into a sultan's harem. So, do, does any of these people ever get heard from again, or you just never hear from them again, period? About 99% you never hear from again. They are um, locked up, I mean, high walls. Uh, armed guards at the gates, no telephone, no internet. Uh, that's, you know, and they're completely at the mercy of the idiot who thinks he owns them. Wow. Very few are rescued. It takes something close to a miracle for a rescue. Some of them well, actually yeah. are, are, quote, married, unquote, to make it even more complicated from a legal standpoint, uh, because you can't take a wife away from her, quote, husband, unquote. Um, there's one guy in Pakistan who's been married more than 700 times. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's more than the, And all the old wives <laughs> never heard from again. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's more than me and Lamont together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we probably still having drama from the other ones, though. <laughs> that's right, though. They they're well known around, boy. They take care of themselves there. So, so um, what what's being done about this subject? And this problem right now, Nancy, that you think is helpful and useful. Who's well, doing something positive about helping? Mostly it's um, nonprofit private organizations that are working very hard night and day to help combat the crime and also help victims if they're ever rescued. Um, I'm thinking of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, Polaris, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, um, other organizations like the Salvation Army are are really working hard. And there are also lots of local organizations that provide shelter to victims or shelter to runaways that are top, top, top. Um, targets for, for, the, for this crime because they're so 
needful and vulnerable. Um, the, the federal government makes a lot of good noise about it. Every year they come out with a very, very thorough report, a country-by-country analysis of the, of the problem, um, and they categorize the countries four different ways. <clears throat> Category one means it's a problem, but not a huge problem, and the governments are actively trying to cope with it. Category two means it's a pretty big problem, and the countries are trying somewhat to, to cope. Category three is it's a huge problem, and the government isn't doing very much. And category four, it's a huge problem, and the government is actually complicit. Mm. Category one is mostly the Western world, like the U.S. and Western Europe. Category four are countries like Yemen, Afghanistan, that are pretty much basket cases. <laughs> um, but it's the private organizations that are doing the bulk of the, of the work. And by the way, they always need financial support. They always need volunteers. And if you find it in your heart to help any of these organizations, they would really, really appreciate it. Oh, one big organization that I neglected to mention is Covenant House that um, provides shelter, much, much needed shelter for victims or potential victims of this crime. What, what, what is Covenant House? Well, it's a, non, it's a nonprofit organization. Is it organization. a religious organization? Um, I'm not sure. A, a lot of these organizations are faith-based um, some of them don't make a lot of noise about that, but um, I think Covenant House is religious-based, but I, I'm not 100% sure. So what's your opinion about why our government doesn't get more involved in this if we compile such a thorough report? Well, they, they come up with uh, recommendations for each country in this report, mm-hmm. but um, – we have been trying very hard to improve our relations with the Arab world. And this is a very, very messy topic to raise when you're trying to improve relationships with somebody. So it has been soft peddled for years. And um, that's, that's the, the principal reason. I mean, it is a really ugly topic to bring up when you're trying to, make better friends with somebody. So, um, now, I want to, I want to ask you a very, a very hard question. And if you don't have a great answer, I would understand, but I, I am curious about it. Do you think in the, in the Arab world that this problem is an Arab problem or a religious problem? Um, well, I'm, I hate to say it, but I think it's a religious problem. Um, the Prophet Muhammad himself had dozens of slaves. He treated them very humanely. And in fact, um, some sources say that Muhammad had 13 wives. Others say that he had 11. And it turns out that the difference of the two is that there were two slave women that he loved so much and treated so well that everybody thought they were his wives, but in fact they were his slaves. Now, he also emancipated a number of slaves, and the Quran says if you need a special blessing, you should emancipate a slave to get good brownie points with the guy upstairs. Um, so um, it is both a cultural and a religious problem. It's really hard to separate the two completely, um, but but I'm I'm sorry to say that it really is a religious problem. Let me point out that I am not anti-Islam. When I was married, half of my family was Muslim. I love them to pieces. They're wonderful people. But slavery is completely legal under Islam. And so in countries where Sharia is the predominant law, it remains completely legal. In 1962, King Faisal of Saudi Arabia issued a royal decree outlawing slavery. However, it had very little legal effect because man-made law 
can never supersede divine law. So that was mostly for international consumption. See, we outlawed it. What are you talking about? Um, it had very, very little legal effect. Wow. Was this true in Indonesia also? A lot in of Indonesia? Human trafficking going on there? Yes. Well, um, it, it, slavery is, is officially outlawed in Indonesia. It is, it is a kind of middle-of-the-road Muslim country. Um, Sharia is not the predominant law there, but there, there is a lot of, of human trafficking there. Thailand is terrible. Um, Malaysia mm-hmm. is terrible. Philippines, terrible. <laughs> uh, okay. The, yeah. Um, the fishing industry, by the way, in Southeast Asia is there about 80% of the fish caught in Southeast Asia Involves slave labor. Labor. Wow. Yeah. Mostly Cambodians. You know, it's the richer countries that take advantage of the people from poorer countries, promising them great jobs, mm-hmm. and then they get there and discover that they've been had. So, are are you writing about this? Yes, I've written um, three books that are available on Amazon in the human trafficking series about victims of this crime. I'm pleased to say that the flagship book called Harem Slave reached number seven in all fiction on Amazon, and it's a, been a bestseller now for more than three years. Um, oh, good for you. Then there's a, a sequel called Prince Ibrahim's Favorite and a companion volume called Voices from the Harem. Yes, I, I write about this extensively. These are, fiction, these are like novels. Well, they're they're what we call faction. Um, they're classified as fiction because I don't have copies of police reports and dates and everything. But these stories are based on the hundreds of true stories that I have collected over more than forty okay. years. Yeah. Okay. All right. But officially, and, and, yeah. they're fiction. Nancy, I have a question. Yes, I know sir. we started off. I know we started off early in the show talking about protecting our kids, but uh, uh-huh. can you yeah. give us an example of exactly how you do that? I mean, outside of I know we talked to them, but do you have any examples of, you know, certain behaviors that they should look out for? Or? Okay, good question. All right. Um, first of all, we need to talk to our kids very frankly about this topic and as graphically as you can possibly dare because the more a child knows about the risks that they run, the more they're likely to pay attention. Um, okay, let's take an example. A pe- pedophile goes to an elementary school just when it's letting out. And he finds a kid with a personalized book bag or baseball cap or something. So he goes up and says, oh, by the way, Phyllis, um, your mom couldn't make it here today, so she sent me to pick you up. Now, if you have a family password, hello? Yes. Hello? Okay, if you have a family password, Phyllis will ask this guy, okay, um, what's the password? And if he doesn't know it, she knows not to leave with him. That is a very easy but very effective technique to help protect your kids. Um, Sometimes they find really sneaky ways to get around don't talk to strangers. Because parents have done a pretty darn good job of teaching their kids, don't talk to strangers. Well, they use a puppy. Now, what child doesn't love a puppy? And they will say, especially for small children, you know, eight and below, oh, my puppy is lost in those woods over there. Can you help me find my puppy? Well, We raise our children to be kind-hearted. We raise our children to be helpful. 
And they're thinking about the puppy, not the fact that this is a stranger. We have to warn our kids that even if the guy talks about a puppy, it does not make him a nice person. Sometimes they will even work in pairs. For example, a guy will sit next to a target on a bus and he'll grope her. She gets mad. He gropes her again. Then this hero from across the aisle comes over and says, listen, buddy, you keep your hands off that kid. And then he sits next to her. Well, have you told your kids not to talk to heroes? Within 30 seconds, he can extract from her all the information he needs. Where is she going? Is somebody meeting her? And then... And she's not afraid of him anymore because he just saved her, right? right? Right. We need to tell our kids about this. There are predators lurking on Internet games, pretending to be another 11-year-old. And then they'll say, hey, by the way, can you send me a picture of yourself without any clothes on? Well, <laughs> we need to warn our kids about this so that they can tell mommy or daddy immediately. There are others that put ads on the internet trying to lure teenage girls especially with promises of a fabulous marketing uh, modeling job maybe a part in a movie um being a participant in a hot new band think the three m's modeling music and movies anything to get a 14 year old excited right And he will ask a question when she arrives. And it's a double-barreled question. She pays attention to the first part, but he's really asking the second. And the question is this. Do you have time to sit down and chat for a few minutes, or is somebody waiting for you? In other words, have you come alone and unprotected? And if she says, well, yeah. If she says, oh, well, my dad, the karate instructor, is waiting for me downstairs, the interview will be very brief and she will not get, quote, the job, unquote. <laughs> if, on the other hand, she says, oh, no, that's okay, I, I have all afternoon nobody's waiting, then he'll sit down, get her real excited about this opportunity and pretend like he's really taking her seriously. Then he'll say, okay, sweetie, um, let, me, let me show you the studio. So... She's all excited and follows him. Well, he dumps her into a closet, locks the door, and makes a call to his contacts. By the way, the Russian mafia is into this big time. They are extremely professional. They are expanding their operations. So he'll call Boris or Arkady or whoever it is and say, I got something for you. And within a few hours, she's probably drugged and in a crate marked some kind of industrial equipment on her way to a brothel in the, in the Persian Gulf. Wow. We need to warn our kids about this. We need to monitor our kids' social media sites. If you do it with them rather than behind their back, you're a whole lot less likely to set off World War III And you can point out postings that never in a million years should have been on the Internet or pictures that that raise all kinds of red flags or or other sites that the parents realize are are trying to lure young people into things that they have no business being lured into. So if you turn it into an educational experience. Yes, sir. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Actually, I have two questions. I'll ask you the first one first. Do you ever receive threats about based on your work in this kind of business? Oh, of course. But it comes with the territory. Yeah. Uh-huh. Has any has anything ever happened that you know that has put you in danger? Um well, not not personally, but my website was hacked several times, and um, 
Um, they're definitely trying to interfere, but, but so far I have not personally been in danger. Mm-hmm. Might so happen one people, of these days. Some people have honestly threatened you about interfering with their business. Of course. It's a multi-billion dollar international business. After um, Ill- illegal drugs, human trafficking is the number two illicit business on the planet. It's a very lucrative business, and, and um, of, of course, I mean, there are vested interests at stake here. So what's your second question? Well, my next question was back to children, um, and that was, you know, as, as parents have so many things to talk to their children about these days, and children, you know, there's always the issue, how do you keep your children safe without scaring them to death about the world? Right. And <laughs> I, as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking, you know, I don't have little kids anymore. You know, all my, I do have girls, but they're all grown up and pretty much past the the danger age. But, you know, it's, if I did have six, seven, eight, 10, 12, 14, 15 year old children, girls, or boys, I would want to have this conversation at the same time. It's, it's kind of, you know, one more thing to tell them the world is a scary place. How how do you deal with that? What do you recommend to parents? Well, the world is a scary place. And if we pretend to our children that everything is, is violets and roses, we are not doing them a service. Um, well, I mentioned a little while ago, we tell our kids not to put their hands on a hot stove. That's a scary place. You don't want them to be afraid of stoves, but you need to warn them about the danger. Crossing the street, that can be a big problem, especially in big cities. Um, you're not trying to traumatize them. You're simply trying to warn them about a danger. This is simply one more danger. You're not trying to traumatize them. Um, but it's, it's something you need to talk to them about. Nancy, how do you protect, how we protect our children from uh, the educators? Well, now, that's, that's kind of a naughty question, but um, sometimes the predators take jobs that will put them in contact with potential victims, okay? I have heard of school counselors that have been involved in human trafficking, law enforcement officers, even clergy who have been involved in human trafficking, people that you think are there to help protect the kids and they're there to victimize them. That's really tough to uh, protect the kids against. Uh, We just hope that, number one, whoever discovers this problem will actually report it and not and not sit on it trying to protect these predators who like at the Catholic Church unfortunately they sat on this problem for generations and they they gave the predators the idea that they could do it with complete impunity because everybody was scared to talk we need yes. to bring this problem out into the open. I mean, think of the University of Pennsylvania, all the scandal they had there because people were covering it up. Um, that, fake pride. If, if, fake if, pride. That's right. Or, or misplaced loyalty to a colleague when our job as adults should be to protect children and not just protect mm-hmm. Our, our colleagues, um, it, it's it's not an easy situation. But once again, we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with the rest of society. If we see that this is going on, we need to tell the people who can do something about it. Uh, Nancy, Matthew, I think we have somebody else has a question. Let me see who this is. Three four seven, you're on. 
Yeah, hi. I have a question. Uh, I feel that children who fall into things like this is children who are ignored by their parents, don't feel loved, or they feel alone, and they're so easily led by a, a nice person with a nice word to just tell them how pretty they are. And, and I think they're so easily to, uh, to, to just walk away because there's nothing at home. And maybe they should they microchip dogs. I think they should microchip children. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> well, that's that's a, a, a great idea, and you are absolutely correct. These predators look for the vulnerable, the most vulnerable. This is the low-hanging fruit. It's the easiest. Um, children who are neglected by their parents are prime targets. And if they disappear, many of them are never reported as missing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the parents are so strung out on drugs or or alcohol or something, they don't even realize the kid's gone. And yeah. if they do, they think, oh, what a relief. Um, and, and they never report the child is missing. So statistics are that are accurate are really hard to come by. But you are absolutely right. They go after the kids who look yeah. like they're the neediest and the the most vulnerable. You're absolutely yeah. correct. So, yeah, it's going to be a hard road to, uh, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Thank you so much for uh, doing your work and have a great day. Bye bye. Okay. Thank you for your question. Thanks, Joan. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Joan. That must have been one of Matthew's clients with the microchip the kid question. <laughs> no, that was a good friend. That's a good friend of mine. It's a good friend. <laughs> but I think that's a good idea to put a microchip of people just like you do with dogs. That would be good. Dogs, that's, that's not not a bad idea, that's actually. That's not done, Nell. That's not done. Well, hey, hey, and, and who's to say you know, when you got your last physical, it didn't happen already? <laughs> well, in Australia, you can have a, a microchip put in your wrist um, that that you can pay your bills with. It's not unheard of Anyway <laughs> I think wow. I think that That some way to uh, to Track a child is a, is a really Could be a very powerful And important thing or a young person You know I, I There's all kinds of issues about that of course But I I think that, You know we're we're talking about Some pretty terrible things that people are doing to each other, Nancy. And I, I was shocked, really, by the first statistic that you quoted us saying that there's more slavery present in the world in terms of numbers now than ever in history. That's really yeah. disturbing. It, that's spooky. You'd think that the human race would have gone beyond that by now, but guess what? <laughs> we haven't. Now, most of it is Domestic slavery, for example, Chinese on Chinese or Thai on Thai, um, but the international slave trade is still flourishing and involves thousands of people every year, probably hundreds of thousands of people every year that are trafficked across national boundaries. Well, it, it uh, sounds like it must generate a lot of money. Yeah, well... Okay, a good-looking young blonde can retail on the Persian Gulf easily for more than $100,000. And as long as somebody's oh willing God. to pay those prices, somebody is going to supply the market. Yeah, 10 of them, that's a million. And if you have to pay $25,000, $30,000 in bribes along the way, hey, that's just part of the cost of doing business. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pretty spooky, huh? Now, I've heard about uh, families in America who have, you know, they have maids and nannies and things that they bring over here and pretty much keep in slavery um, That's to true. take care of their children. That's true. Happened to a niece of mine. Um, her aunt, um, her late mother's sister, worked for the World Bank brought Dee over when she was 14 years old, wanted her to stay home all day, clean house, and look after the kids. 
Now, the aunt was not thinking about this as a form of slavery. She was just trying to find a low-cost household help solution. Um, mm-hmm. But And she didn't want Dee to go to school. Dee fought back, actually went to school. But a lot of times they don't fight back. They just kind of get sucked into it and and are effectively enslaved. Like you say, in Haiti, mm. there's even a term yeah. for it. In French, it's called reste avec, stay with. And it's often a relative, um, an uncle who will bring in a, a, a young teenage girl to be household help. And that's the end of her schooling. That's the end of her um, her cultural career. I mean, that she's stuck taking care of that family and that and that house. Um, yeah, it happens. It happens a lot, and people don't even realize sometimes that what they're doing is enslaving somebody else. They're just trying to find a low cost solution to household help, but they're they're actually perpetrating slavery. Yeah. So, why do you think blondes are so uh, so high on the scale? Well, they're they're fairly rare, especially in certain parts of the world, like the Middle East and Asia. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the word, by the way, the word Slav and the word slave are first cousins. Slavic women were the closest blondes to the Ottoman Empire and made very desirable harem slaves. Um, just a little word history there. Um, but they're, they're, they're quite rare. Blondes and redheads also um, are, are relatively rare. And, I mean, it's like a Ferrari or a Corolla. You know, you can get a Corolla anywhere. A Ferrari, well, that's... You have to invest a little bit more money, and it and it shows um, that that you're wealthy, and you know gives you more prestige. That's that's it's just supply of, you know, the law of supply and demand. What happens? What happens to these women when they age? Uh, well, they get dumped. Um, they are in in many brothels and in some really high class harems. 25 is the retirement age, and so they'll be sold to someplace less desirable and then less desirable and then less desirable um, until they end up in a brothel where life expectancy is calculated in weeks. It's not a pretty picture. Wow. Yeah, 25 retirement age. And the younger, the better. By the way, nine years old under Islamic law is considered prime time. That is no longer pedophilia. And so um, let's say a girl is, is kidnapped at age nine and then dumped at age 25. Um, that's, that's still 16 years of, quote, productivity, unquote, um, yeah, Do you but but Sharia law. Well, see, is Muhammad under Sharia law. Yes, nine is is prime time. Muhammad himself married one of his wives when she was nine, and another one he married when she was age six, but he waited until she was nine years old before he consummated the marriage. So, if the prophet does it, that means it's okay. There are some wealthy men who treat themselves to a, a new virgin every month, you know, a 9, 10, 11-year-old. Um, they've got lots of money, and, and this is a big treat for getting through the month. So there was a case not long ago in Yemen where there was an 8-year-old girl. And in my opinion, she should have still been playing with Barbies, but... She got married to a 40-year-old, and on their wedding night, he attempted to have sex with her, and in the process, 
injured her so severely that she died. Oh my God. I am pleased to report that Pakistan has now outlawed child marriages. The minimum age to marry now is 18, and they are actively arresting people who sell their daughters or who buy other people's daughters, as well as the marriage brokers who take a cut. Um, that is very good news, and I'm delighted to report that. What, what caused this change in Pakistan? Well, um, Pakistan is trying very hard to become a modern society, and, and this was one part of that process, and um, I'm delighted that it took place. Sound like that's a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> but in many places in the world, little girls, six, eight, ten years old, are still being sold as wives. Um, mm. It's it, They're actually just glorified slaves. Um, but in many places in the world, this still happens. Does this happen in um, Christian cultures also? Not not nearly, nearly, nearly as much. Um, I've, I've heard of some of the, the strange sects out west um, that will force like 10-year-olds into, into marriage. Um, but these are really fringe sects that, um, um, that don't have an awful lot of commonplace in, in our world. I'm relieved to say. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I I I hear, I find that it's a you know, it's on it's many different levels that we're talking about here from um pedophiles all the way to people who, you know, take children or young people and sell them to other places. But you're also talking about in certain parts of the world where there's a lot of slavery that involves just plain physical labor. Yes. In India, for example, there is a very common problem called debt slavery. Let's say you want to get married and you don't have the money. So you borrow $500 from somebody and you sign a contract that says, if you can't pay the money back in X amount of time, you will work for that person for free for X number of years. Well, sometimes it takes 25 years to pay off a $500 debt. I'm sorry, that's not really a fair exchange here. <laughs> um, there are also people who are born into slavery because their great-great-grandfather was a slave and his great-great-great-grandfather was a slave. In Mauritania, in the Western Sahara, they calculate that approximately 10% of the people are still born into slavery. CNN did a documentary on that a couple of years ago. Um, so there are all kinds of ways that this, that this happens. Um, but principally, people are lured by promises of a wonderful job, and then they get there, and it turns out that that was a, a whole pack of lies. It happens for labor slavery. It happens for for sexual slavery. It happens across the board. And like like the people who cross the border from Mexico, you know, Arizona can be a scary place. It's desert. You can die there. So they hire guides that they call coyotes to take them safely across the desert. And half the time, mm-hmm. these coyotes take them straight to farms where they're locked up and forced to, you know, pick strawberries or or cabbage or whatever it is. Um, They're completely cut off from the rest of the world. Nobody knows they're there. Um, They can rarely escape. Um, It's very easy to take advantage of some of these people, and there are people out there who are eager to do so. Hmm. So you said you have a website. Yes, it's nancyhartwell.com. And by the way, so there is if a... If someone goes... Go ahead, Nancy. Yeah. There's a five-part course 
about modern-day slavery and human trafficking, all we need is your email, and we can, we can arrange for you to, um, to have this course completely free, completely, absolutely free. And there are also links um, to, my, to my books. By the way, Harem Slave has been translated into French, Spanish, and German. These are all available on Amazon. Well, you, you actually answered my question, which was, um, if someone goes there, what will they find? But um, it, uh, There's a so lot there's of information about, about human trafficking. Yeah, lots of okay. information and, and telephone numbers of some of these wonderful organizations. And once again, let me put in a plug for them. And, and, if, and if this topic means anything to you, please help them with your financial support or, or the gift of your time because they are always looking for more resources. Mm. Okay. And any of those people are actually always welcome to come on this show too because we actually like to continue to do our part to get the word out. Well, this you all have been absolutely wonderful. You've asked just perfect questions, and I really, really appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners a little bit about what I've learned over the past 45 years about this horrible, horrible crime. Nancy, I'm curious about one thing. I know you, we mentioned that you uh, speak a, do- a dozen languages. Could you just humor me and tell me what those are? Because I know Matthew is struggling with the one that he knows. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Well, um, I speak English. Um, I In Tampa, they start teaching you Spanish in the fifth grade. So I grew up speaking Spanish. Then um, when I met Henry, the Cameroonian attorney, I started studying French. I'm now a certified interpreter in French, by the way. Then I worked for a German company, so I learned how to speak German. And I discovered Bantu languages when I got to Cameroon, and it turned out they were loads and loads and loads of fun. I had no idea how much fun these languages were. For example, in French, you catch a cold. In English, you catch a cold. In German, you catch a cold. In Bantu languages, a cold catches you. Uh-huh. Which, anyway, I, I thought that was fun. So I speak eight languages from Cameroon, and I also um, studied Arabic. So those are, the, those are the languages I speak. Oh, and Italian. Amazing. Yeah. Well, wow. once you learn one language, learning others comes, comes easier. Um, there is such a skill as language learning skill. For instance, in Spanish, you say, tengo hambre, I have hunger. In French, you say, j'ai faim, I have hunger. You say, oh, okay, I've already run into that construction before, I know that. So it's easier to absorb. Um, but I love languages. I think it's, it's a reflection of human genius, and it's a great way to make friends with somebody, even if you speak a few words of their language, it's you're yes. overcoming a, a huge barrier. Suddenly, you're a potential friend instead of just a stranger, and um, and it's it's helped me immensely in my in my work, and it's also a lot of fun because people don't expect a white lady to speak African languages, <laughs> and I I. Managed to surprise a number of people on many different occasions. <laughs> so no Hebrew okay, well, or Yiddish. Pardon? No Hebrew or Yiddish. No, I don't. I don't. I I studied Arabic for four years, but that's the only Semitic language that I speak. Well, I'm going to speak well, English to people. I'm going to speak English because we only have like 30 seconds left in the show and I definitely want to thank you Nancy for joining us Well, thank you so much for having me I love you guys I appreciate it so much okay y'all have a great evening thank you for sharing all that information it's very very important so thanks so much okay God bless God bless you and for those okay. of you that joined us late, uh, the show will be available in a couple of minutes, and you can hear it in its entirety from the beginning, from wherever you get your podcast from. It will be available worldwide and on the
Everyone here at Counter Player Play, Matthew and I, myself, we want to thank you, and we'll see you next week, same time. Okay. Thanks, Good y'all. Uh-huh. Good night. Call me at the right.